As you know, today is uh, a great day as well. John and Anya Erickson are here from Guinea, West Africa. Uh, Life Church has been supporting their ministry for, for decades, and Debbie and I and Caden were there about 11 years ago, uh, saw firsthand what's going on, and there's been a lot of changes since that time. And um, so you might be wondering, hey, what, what can I do to get uh, plugged into that? First of all, there's offering envelopes on the back wall and wherever you see those black boxes, those giving boxes. Um, and you'll notice on, on the envelope it says tithe, the tithe, that's, that's 10, 10%. That's what that word means. Tithe means 10%. It means right off the top, man. Uh, you're honoring God, allowing you to give you the health, sound mind to have a job, to earn an income. And it's your way of saying, Lord, everything I have belongs to you. And that tithe is a reminder of that. Beyond that tithe, we give an offering. And an offering today, we want to really um, blow it up for John and Anya uh, for their ministry in Africa, man. And after you hear, hear them this morning, man, you're going to say, indeed, indeed, um, I want to be part of that. So um, you heard Nicole also, the blue cards, you notice they're not sitting by you. They're at Guest Central. If you're a guest watching online, thanks for taking time today to plug in and check us out, and uh, we sure appreciate it. Um, and with that, let's give a warm welcome to John and Anya Erickson. Good morning. It is a great privilege to be with you today. And um, I want to start off by giving, first of all, I want to talk about what we have done since we were here last. Maybe some of you have never seen us before, uh, first time. So we will talk a little bit about how we got to Africa. And uh, then we will talk about what we've done in the last three years. And then we will explain a little bit about where we're, where we're going in the future. But before that, I want to uh, talk a little bit about why are missions important. And uh, so if you take notes, uh, I want you to just uh, jot down Matthew 28 and Mark 16. And... Uh, it's toward. It's the very last chapter, the very last, uh, the very last part of the the chapter, and it's the last words of Jesus. And um, when you think of uh, people's last words, often you they're they're important. It's like okay, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Matthew 28. So. Um, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're reading in the Bible, but uh, it's like, okay, hey guys, I'm going to go and I'll be back. But in the meantime, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing, making disciples, and that's your job. Uh, they may have wanted to say, well, Jerusalem's kind of nice because people come to Jerusalem three times a, a year for these big feasts and they come from all over the world, so we're going to stick around in Jerusalem. 
He didn't say that. He said to go into all the world. And I want to also uh, point out to you something that is found in uh, Matthew 24. And it's Matthew 24 is talking about the end times. And in Matthew 24, if I can find it, on the 14th uh, verse, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the last, uh, no, a couple of more places in Matthew, or Revelation 7. It is basically the fulfillment of that preaching in all the world. And I'm going to read quite a bit more there. And I'm going to start in uh, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, and this is John speaking, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is a fulfillment of people being obedient and going into all the world. And the last place I want to point you to is to uh, Romans 10. And Romans 10 says, uh, starting at verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So all of those verses together, you will not hear me really expounding on them or preaching, we want to talk about what we have done, why we have, the way God has led us to be able to preach to the people that we have gone to. But that is the reason, and that is the reason why the Great Commission, I think, is vital for every church that is worshiping the living God. Okay, so if you will turn on the... uh, PowerPoint. This is the place in Africa where we are. For those that are, a few that are geographically challenged, 
Many of you uh, know America, but not, not so much Africa. So Africa is a huge continent, and uh, Anya has circled where we are. And go ahead with the next one. Okay, I've already repeated that. Go ahead. Now, this is where I started out um, in 1985, quite a few years ago, when I had hair. I want to, maybe I should stop and talk a little bit about how I ended up going to the mission field. I grew up in a, I grew up in an agnostic home. We did not believe that God even existed. My mom always, always said uh, that we, we uh, evolved from chimpanzees. And I like to make fun of it because, uh, we, you know, the chimps are like, like this. And so over years and years, they eventually started standing up, and then at the end, they became human. So to me, that's crazy. <laughs> but at the time, when you're a little kid, you believe it. So uh, I believed in that. So um, in college, I was, went to a off-campus Bible study and got saved. And uh, in the college town that I was at, it was a Dutch Reformed little town, in Iowa, and I started going to a Dutch Reformed church. Well, the Dutch Reformed church doesn't really do missions too much because their doctrine doesn't really believe in it. So after college, I ended up in Frankfurt, Illinois, and I became a youth director in a new Dutch Reformed church, and I was terrible. And the Dutch Reformed church had never had a youth pastor before because of the new plant, and they really didn't know what they wanted, but they knew they didn't want me. <laughs> so uh, I started looking around for help. Who could help me to figure out how to be a better youth pastor? And somebody directed me. They said, there's, a, uh, there's an old fossil, a youth director over in Christian Hills. And... Uh, he had been there seven years, and, that, and for youth directory, that's, that's pretty old, usually. And uh, that person was uh, your pastor. <laughs> so uh, he helped me to uh, try to become a better youth pastor, but it, in, it didn't work. So uh, <laughs> I quit, and they were happy, and then I started coming to Christian Hills Church, and Christian Hills Church at that time had a pastor that had been a, a missionary in Liberia. And every su Sunday, some way, somehow, he had to speak uh, about Liberia and how um, much the people needed Jesus. So he had started a Bible study there, uh, a Bible school. And uh, when I said I wanted to do missions, he said, you got to go to my Bible school. So I went, and uh, I hated it. So I, I know that I was in the will of God, but it was terrible for the first year. And sometimes I think God can direct us someplace. We're doing what he wants us to do, but our emotions, our heart doesn't follow until uh, God does the work. So you might be hurting. You might be doing what God wants you to do, but it's tough. And... Uh, that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God just because your heart doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we need to just step out and do what God wants us to do, and then the emotions will follow. So I did that, and uh, go ahead. 
then uh, uh, Liberia had a civil war, uh, so I didn't stay around. I moved to Guinea, and one of the reasons that I moved was because I read a book called Operation World. Anybody ever heard of that book, Operation World? Very few people. Anyway, it is a book that talks about every country on earth and the spiritual situation in that country. And I think it's a, a very important book. They did many, they've done many uh, editions. Is that what you call it? Yeah, editions. And uh, so the first edition that came out, of course, I was in Liberia. I read it and it said, Liberia has the most amount of missionaries per capita of any place in Africa. Uh, that's not good. Then I read about Guinea, and it said it was the least evangelized country in black Africa, meaning not in the Arab part. And so I wanted to go to Guinea, but it was really tough to get a visa uh, permission to go until the Civil War, and they got a bunch of bad press in that, so that's uh, where we went. So Guinea is a huge country compared to Liberia. It has uh, 13 million people. And uh, because I was in Liberia, I crossed the border from Liberia. I got a little pointer here. Boop. So I was down here, and I just crossed over the border on a motorcycle because I didn't have a car at that time. And uh, that's why I ended up so far away from the capital into this little place because all the refugees from Liberia, which is right here, were fleeing over here to be safe. And so I thought I would go over there and preach to the Liberians and... Uh, uh, that's how I ended up way far away from the capital city. That's a two-day drive. It's a wonderful 20-hour drive over dirt, uh, potholes. Uh, and uh, Anya said yesterday, if she's riding in the car, she her little, uh, what is it, that little thing that, makes, that shows how much exercise you're getting, she can get 10,000 steps in, in a few hours by sitting in the car. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So this is me with hair. This is when I first went into Guinea. At this time, I was 31 years old, and I was still single. And I moved into a village and into a hut. This man, Moses, he had five kids, and he was living with his five kids in a two-bedroom house. So I moved into their kitchen, which was separate because it's wood smoke. And he didn't want wood smoke in his house, so I was in a little round hut on a, uh, uh, a dirt floor, a dirt, a dirt bed. They raised the bed and put a mat on it, and so that was my place for a few months. And we worked together for 24 years, and then uh, God called him home. He was, he was murdered. Okay, go ahead. So we built, uh, we, we did a bunch of evangelism. Uh, building a building doesn't make a church. All of you know that. Just because you have a church building doesn't mean that it's a church inside. We did a lot of evangelism and ended up with uh, 14 congregations. Uh, and so that was fun. And then we started doing something else. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. This is a baptism on the left. This is film projection, which I still do on the right. And this is mud brick uh, church building. Go ahead. And then we started doing, um, we started getting involved in mobile, medical, and dental. And um, neither one of us, Moses had a sixth grade education, and I'm a communications major. 
But a dentist that didn't want to come back to Guinea, he, had, he was doing one trip and he said, that's it, I'm done, but you got to learn how to pull teeth. So we started uh, learning how to pull teeth and we continued to do it with uh, different dentists that would come. And that dentist, even though he said he wasn't coming back, God made him come back. And so he came back many times and uh, he kept training us. Go ahead. So... I love pulling teeth. <laughs> Somebody said um, that dentists have the highest suicide rate uh, among all medical professionals because everybody hates going to the dentist. But I love it. <laughs> I'm not going to commit suicide. <laughs> it's so weird because as long as they're numb, I'll pull. I don't care. Go ahead. Uh, we continue to uh, work over the years with uh, medical people and doctors and nurses would come out. And the, the reason that it, uh, we really started the clinic was because in this, in this one week where they would come, we would, they, we would set up in a house that sometimes they didn't have a door or a window, dirt floor, and we would see them give out good diagnostic, uh, and then they would give medicines that uh, corresponded with the, the sickness, and then they showed God's love. And it's amazing what uh, that, that could do. All the doctors that came, they were so frustrated because they didn't have all the equipment they wanted, but it was a huge improvement over what was available. Go ahead. And so because of that, uh, Moses and I decided we wanted to build a small clinic in our, our town because we... Uh, we were taking people to the emergency rooms, and the treatment was horrible. So we thought, well, we can start doing something better. Because if you say, if you love somebody, if you love somebody and then you don't give them your best, how is that love? It, that's, that, when you love somebody, you want them to also have what you have. So these, meta, these doctors, I knew I had contacts, even though we didn't know what we were doing these doctors could come and help us. So we started building. Again, uh, we didn't know what we were doing. And then I went to Gabon to uh, learn how to fill teeth because I didn't want to come here to become, uh, get into a bunch of debt at a dental school and then never get back to Africa. So I went to Gabon for a six-month training, and there I met Anya. So we are married uh, 20 years this week. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So Anya brought order to our mess because, uh, as I said, we didn't know what we were doing. And Anya was uh, a nurse from Holland, is a nurse from Holland, sorry. And uh, she began to put uh, all the administrative stuff together. And so we decided we would start uh, opening the clinic. And I thought, well, all these people that are coming on our back porch will want to come to the clinic to pull their teeth. Well, nobody wanted to see the dentist or the tooth pullers. They wanted to see a real nurse, especially a white lady. So they started coming, and Anya was forced to open way before she wanted to. She was comfortable to open. Go ahead. Uh, it's a long story, but the U.S. Embassy gave us uh, money to build a fourth building, which became our surgical, is our surgical uh, building that has a lab, a uh, sterilization, we have an x-ray room, and we have a wound care, and we have two uh, operating rooms. Go ahead. 
again, so we opened 2003, so next year will be our 20th anniversary. Yes, next year will be uh, 20 years with Hope Clinic. Go ahead. So now the place keeps growing, and uh, we see around 100, 120 people a day. Uh, last year we saw 18,000 people, and most of them come into our waiting room. That's our waiting room on the left, up on the top there. And they will sit there, and we get to present Jesus to them every morning before the clinic starts. I worked with the Manu people, a tribe that Moses was a part of for 17 years before we started opening this clinic, or it was maybe a little shorter. A little shorter than that, but every day I would only speak with Manu people. I never spoke with somebody, and the Manu people are animists. They're not Muslim. So I never got to speak to the majority of our neighbors because there was no way to get into their lives. But when we open this clinic every day now, the majority of our patients are Muslim. So we get to present, hopefully in an appropriate way, Jesus who saves sinners and is the only way to God. And I love it. Go ahead. This is what we've been doing in the last three years. We built a huge building. It's called the Maternity Building because since we started 20 years ago, we always wanted to do maternity, and we've always, it's always been a little bit out of our reach. So we now have this building, and it's still a little bit out of our reach because we need anesthesiologists, and we need a, I can always not say this right, O-B-G-Y-N. We need one of those people to come help us before we can open. We have somebody, we have a doctor there that God sent us, and he is able to do C-sections, but he can't run the whole clinic by himself. And uh, we need anesthesiologists in order to make, in order to be able to do C-sections. And then we need a OBGYN to help with the, the delivery. Go ahead. So this is the inside of the building. We have uh, now about um, 30, 40 extra beds. Uh, the clinic before had like 18. And now with this 40 extra beds, we become kind of a hospital. Our, our surgeon has confiscated one of our wards because our uh, beds are, there's not enough of them and he needs to keep operating. So he stole one of our wards. So even though it's empty, we're still using it. Go ahead. This is our new initiative. Uh, Anya had, was doing administration, and then she was doing teaching, and she always wanted to start a nursing school to be able to teach uh, nurses, people that uh, often people would finish nursing school and they would not have any practical experience or they would learn the wrong way to do things. So you have to, it's harder to unlearn than to learn, right? Yeah. So I know that when I speak French. I have a bunch of French words that I shouldn't be speaking, but I can't stop it. So, so this is our nursing school. Uh, it's got three classrooms. And go ahead. And then we have, uh, we got a dummy there, a white guy. See that? There's our dummy. Uh, the biggest class is 30 students. Uh, in the, the government classes, 
sometimes they will have 200 students in a class and people stand up or they sit in uh, three people on a bench. And so cheating is incredible, but everybody here has their own class or their own uh, desk and no cheating. So we just finished our third year just like this school. Congratulations, you all. This school is fantastic. So congratulations. So we, are, we started the same year that you did, but I didn't know. And uh, so the third year, just uh, re- right before we came here, they finished their national exams. We haven't heard if they passed. They act like they passed, but we don't know yet. <laughs> Go ahead. This is, our, this is my weekend project. This is about two and a half hours away from our present Hope Clinic. And this is called Gyazu. So we are starting a new Hope Clinic in Gyazu. Go ahead. And uh, we just opened in April. And uh, we have 14 employees there. And in this region, the majority of the people, again, uh, the church is very, very small. There are villages that refuse to allow them to go show films or do any kind of evangelism. So this clinic is uh, our trap. This clinic will make them come to us. And then they will come. We will show them God's love. We will explain God's love. And we know there will be a change in that region. Go ahead. So this is, uh, this is my friend Say. He just finished uh, medical school a year ago. He's been with us one year, he and his friend Jacques. And they want to become surgeons. Anyway, I'll tell you about that later. Go ahead. Our, this, is a drone, this is a drone shot of the clinic. It looks like a tornado hit right here, but it's, we just were replacing the roof. And the maternity building, this is an old photo, the maternity building is right in here. So when you look at that maternity, we snagged that spot. So we exist to demonstrate God's love by verbal proclamation and lifestyle evangelism through competent, compassionate medical care and community development. And our community development at this time mostly has to do with we install water wells in villages. So last year we installed three new wells and we repaired like 10. Go ahead. We, do, we have partnerships with uh, different organizations. Some of them are Christian. Some of them are non-Christian. I smile train. Sometimes you may see that. That is not a Christian organization. Go ahead. And this is an example of a little girl that was born with a cleft lip. Among the culture of our area, they will say that that little girl is not a little girl. That is a thing. That is a demon. And so the midwives will say, we'll take care of it for you, just like they do in New York. They will take care of uh, somebody that wants to have an abortion, even up to nine months. So these little people are born, and then the midwives say, we'll take care of it. And then they are allowed to die. Go ahead. So we have a surgeon that is an artist with skin, and uh, so he repaired this little girl. And then Smile Train pays us to do these surgeries. So then we are able to offer this surgery for free. Go ahead. These, this is another very common deform, deformity. Uh, these 
Children are born with feet that are not straight out. And the brain says these, this is normal. So there's a thing called Ponzetti, and uh, Mercy Ship sent us people that trained two or three of our nurses to be able to do the Ponzetti method. And what it is, if when a, a foot is like this, you put it in a cast for one week. You, you put it a little bit toward the right way, put it in a cast for one week, at the end of one week you take it off, you put it a little bit more, and then depending on how old the child is, the foot will end up being normal. And then we do a small surgical procedure, cutting a tendon, and put them in cast, and then they're normal. But they have to be, they have to have braces for a few months. Otherwise, the brain says that's not normal the way that foot is, and it will send it back. So the patients, the parents have to be cooperative. Go ahead. So they also have shown us how to do this. This is our newest um, partnership, and it's with Sinel. So this is uh, a person that got a broken leg and it healed badly. Right here is. You can see where that white is. That's the bone that is healed. So when it gets like that, we, um, oh, I'll tell you. We get out our hammer and chisel, and we re-break it. It's just like carpentry. Go ahead. And then we put a nail inside the bone. This is the lower foot. This is tibia. And uh, then we put screws in. So that these bones are forced to touch each other. So now this bone, because it's touching each other and it's immobile, it will heal straight. And you can't really see this, but there's a little bit of white in between there, and that will heal back. Go ahead. We do lots of other surgeries because we have one surgeon who is extremely talented, and this is a goiter. Go ahead. And this is him afterwards. And goiters happen because there's a lack of iodine in the uh, diet. So that's why you have iodized salt in America. You didn't know that, did you? Otherwise, there would be two or three people here with uh, goiters. Go ahead. Okay, so this is uh, the future. This is really, really where I want to go with the, where we are going with the future. Um, Like I already said, Selema and his friend Jacques, they want to go to uh, become surgeons. And there's a program called PACS, P-A-A-C-S. It's called Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. And they, I'm not even looking at the time. Where's the time, Pastor? Okay. So it's called Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. And they train doctors who are in Africa to stay in Africa, to work with the resources or lack of resources that are there. And then they go back to their home country and they work for five years to pay off uh, their, their, well, because we pay for their surgical school, they will pay us back for five years of work. Even though we give them a salary, they will still be with us for five years because per... It's probably cheap for here, but for us, it's 25000 per year per student. So at the end of five years, you're, you're in the hole, 125000 So for these two guys, I'm believing God will send us $250,000. Easy for God. 
And then those two guys will change what we're doing. We already have somebody that's in the fourth year of uh, surgical training, so he has uh, a year and a half to go, and then he will be joining us, and then we will have two surgeons. So if we get two more, then uh, we can start uh, having lots of surgeries, and the need is there. So uh, the other thing is uh, we want to start a midwife course in the nursing school. That is our desire. And um, I want to build a new building for Gyazu so that what the building that you saw is only for outpatient. So I want to build a new building that will have uh, a place for a lab, for some beds, and two uh, surgical wards. So this is my new dream. You always have to have a dream, huh? Yeah. So this is my new dream. So this is where we are. Okay, goody, goody. It's already there. So we live near this, this city. This is the second largest city of the country. And we live like three miles outside in a little village called Zao. So Gyazu, which is where our new clinic is, is two and a half hours drive. It's, part of it's paid and part of it is not. So it's a dirt road with potholes and for now it's passable. So this is uh, my new dream. There's a place up here called Cinco. This place has uh, a large population and there are two people groups there. The one people group is called Konyeka, very resistant to the gospel. And the other group is Wasulu. They aren't even resistant because they have no clue about resisting. All they, all they know is Islam. They've never had to resist any gospel message because they've never heard. There's nothing to resist. So there's a young man. His, uh, he, he was Muslim. He became Christian. And he wanted to reach out to his own people. So he is up in this place. Uh, he's a tailor. So he preaches to people. And uh, I wanted to go help him with the clinic because I know that resistance will come. So this, I think, is about at least five hours. I know I've driven it. So it's at least five hours, and that's uh, my dream, to start a new clinic up there. But I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. So that's my desire. That's where we want to go. And I want to talk about you. Now, where is your church what is the future of your church? I believe if you're going to walk in the will of God, you will send out missionaries. You saw my picture when I started a few years ago. You see me now. It's not the same guy. We will not be out there, I can't imagine. We, my desire is to be out there 10 more years, at least. But God knows. What about the young people? I believe that your church needs to send out somebody somewhere. I'm not saying Guinea. My pastor said, everybody goes to Liberia. But I'm not saying that. I am saying God has commanded us to go into all the world. I'm not saying where you need to go, but I do believe you need to send your children, your grandchildren, or maybe you need to send your grandparents who are retired out to the mission field. If you send your blood, the money will follow. 
It's easy to send the money and stay. But if you send your blood, you also send your prayers. And you'll be concerned every week. How are they doing? What's going on? What happened? You'll be praying for them. So my desire is for you, and I believe it's God's desire, because he is involved in missions to the very end. I believe he wants you to do it. It's, it's, I know that all the reasons the people are coming to us, but I, I know that the people that are coming to you that are crossing that border, they may be poor, but the poorer people are left behind. They have paid a coyote to bring them to, across the border. They paid big money. But the poor people are still home, not hearing. And in Africa... They aren't coming here because it's a long ways to even get here. They're going to Europe. But even so, the poor people stay behind. Lots of people from our area are getting onto those canoes that are, that are floundering and drowning between North Africa and uh, Spain, Europe, wherever they're going. And, uh, but the, the poor people are staying behind. So my, my thing is, we have got to go to them. They're not coming to us. And it's, it's popular now to do short-term missions. I like it because it exposes people to missions. But long-term missions, why is it important? Because you need to learn the heart language and the culture to be able to present the gospel. Today during worship, it was so good. Because it was worship in my heart language. And prayer and worship, it's hard to just translate. You can translate a message like what I'm saying, but you can't translate worship. It's tough. And you can't translate prayer. And I believe that missionaries need to go out, learn the language, learn the culture, present the gospel. And you're not going to do that with short-term missions. Okay, the last thing that I want to say, and I believe I asked God for uh, something to say to the American church. And my thing is, that I believe that God told me, is to prepare for persecution. And that is not to say that you're to run home and uh, to store up a year's worth of food in your cellar and 3,000 rounds of ammunition. My thing is, prepare to make sacrifices. I do believe that someday people will be passed over promotions because they're Christian, because of what they believe, because they refuse to sign a doctrinal or a non-doctrinal statement that they will accept any kind of lifestyle. I do believe that universities will also start demanding that. This is just me thinking. God didn't tell me that. I'm just, what God did tell me was, Prepare for persecution. And we've been through some persecution. I will tell you, God is with you, and he will see you through it, and you won't die. You can't kill Christians. You will never die. You may be transferred, but you won't die. So... um, That's my thing. I think, I don't know what the time is, but this is what I had to say to you all. Thank you for listening to me. Amen.